How many have ever watched her as a fan of wrestling? Yeah, right. I mean, in the South you call it wrestling, you know. But, you know, but it's wrestling, right? Wrestling, right? Like Hulkamania, you know. You ever seen that? Big Hulk Hogan, right? He's a big dude, you know. You think I'm tall. Man, he's a big dude. I met him actually one time, and, and uh, we were in a, in, a, in a place, and he was leaning up uh, against the wall, and I was like, dude, you're, you're he's like huge, right? And so and then you got the nature boy, right, Ric Flair, all these guys, right? They're like slamming and, and all that kind of stuff. Y'all know that's fake, right? You know, that ain't really real, right? But listen, you can't, it's real, it's real, right? But, he did, but you know what? You can't tell Geraldo Rivera that, right? There were years ago, he interviewed, he's a journalist, by the way, he interviewed these guys. And he's sitting there in front of these guys, and he goes, he goes, he goes, hey man, he says, that stuff's all fake, isn't it? That's just fake. And one of the dudes just punched him right square in the nose. <laughs> right there in front of God and everybody, punched him in the nose. He says, is that fake? <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't fake, right? But listen, I want you to think about this for a minute, man. You know, pro wrestling really is a staged event. It's staged, right? Before the wrestlers ever go out, it has been predetermined who will win. Right? They do that on purpose, right? The contenders go through the battle for entertainment purposes only. But the point of the battle is not to decide who will win, but to give the crowd the biggest show they've ever heard. I mean, who wants to see guys jumping off and breaking each other's neck and bending their legs and all that kind of stuff? It always amazes me how they don't get hurt. All that slamming and bamming and throwing around, right? Hitting each other's head with chairs and all that kind of mess, right? The winner of the match does not, listen, the winner of the match does not battle for victory, but from victory. Think about that for a minute. He battles not for victory, but from a position of victory. He battles knowing that he's already won. Those who come to Jesus Christ, church, have already won. We've already won because of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Amen? God allows us to go through our Christian walk, though, not to win the victory, but to show off to the world, listen, that He that is in us is greater than He that's in our world. Amen? The victory is won for all of us. The victory is so won for each and every one of us. And man, listen, let's make sure we walk around each and every day on Monday when you get up and you're like, oh, I gotta get to work, or whatever, you know. Man, walk in there with victory in your heart. Listen, the victory's one. This is listen, this life is so stinking temporary. It is so short. It's like a vapor, right? It, the Bible says it's like a vapor. Huh. It's like a huh. And it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And the older we get, the more we know that, right? I get a big amen on that one. Amen. amen. But listen, the victory is ours today. The victory is now. The victory is in Jesus. Jesus is the victor. And we need to proclaim that victory far and wide. That's why we do some of the things that we do, right? So today we're going to be talking about the millennial kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign. The thousand-year reign. Man, the victory is Jesus's, right? Jesus is coming back. That's a fact. He is coming back to this world. And he's coming back in all righteousness to set up his kingdom. And there's a lot of things that we've been studying for the last year or so that's taken place up to that point. A lot of it is the judgment of the seven years of tribulation. But now we have come to the point now where, listen, 
Jesus is fixing to come back. And he's going to come on the Mount of Olives and he's going to set up his kingdom from Jerusalem. And it's going to be an amazing thing. And guess what? You and I that are believers get to come back with him. And we're going to experience all that Jesus has for each and every one of us and in the world. And so I'm excited that I hope you're excited that, hey, that's going to happen. You get to have a front row seat if you're a believer today. The millennial kingdom is called many things in Scripture. And I want you to hear me this morning. The thousand-year reign of Christ. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, listen to what it's called. It's called the regeneration. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes. Of course, he's talking to his disciples. Because they're going to be the judges that are going to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it's called the times of refreshing, the millennial reign of Christ. Therefore, he says, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In Acts 3.21, it is also called, it's called the period of restoration. The period of restoration. Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, the Apostle Paul refers it to, listen, with a, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in Jesus. In Jesus alone. And we see this, we know it's not only mentioned in the New Testament, but also throughout the entirety of the Old Testament is the coming of the kingdom. This is the teaching of the kingdom, his millennial kingdom. It's a thousand year reign. And it's so important through the whole of scripture. Redemptive history. Think about that scarlet thread we talked about last week. It's so important for us to grasp as it progresses from the beginning of Genesis to the very end of Revelation. It's all through the entirety of the Bible if you would just check it out. The centrality of Jesus Christ throughout the whole Bible is vitally important for all of us to see it to understand it, and to be able to discuss it intelligibly to one another and to those who don't know who Jesus is, especially to those who do not know Christ. Also to those that know Christ, but they just don't know all the nuts and bolts of what's going on, right? And this is why we've gone through the book of Revelation. I hope that you've gained a better understanding of Revelation through this elongated period of time that we've gone through the book verse by verse. It's important for us to understand what's going on because people have questions. People, listen, I want you to have answers. And the Bible gives us every answer that we need, right? All that we need. Literally, it's in there. It tells us everything that we need to know about Jesus and his coming kingdom. Who can understand it all, really? Who can understand all of it, really? None of us can understand it all, really. But listen, the more that you dig into his word, the more that you will understand, the more, man, as you draw near to God, you want to draw near to God, get in his scripture. Don't just listen to what the preacher says. Don't, don't listen to TV preachers. Don't, don't listen. Listen, dive into the word of God for your own individual self and dive into it and study it, right? Get in there. And the more that you dig into his word, the more that Jesus is going to reveal to you of who he is and what's going to take place. 
It's so imperative that we would do that. Don't just rely on somebody else to tell you. You've got to do it. It's important. Also, to be gathered in the house of the Lord together is important. Amen? Amen. Man, you guys are here this morning. Amen? We're gathered together as the church, the body of Christ, and also those that are at home. We had a lot of sick folks last week, I know, and some of them are still sick at home. Remember to pray for them. Listen, to sit around and talk about Jesus Christ is important. It's important for us to do that in small groups. Listen, on Wednesday night, Sunday night, even at home. It's just important and truly vital to open the word of the living God, allowing him to tell us what the truth is in every aspect of our lives. We need his word. We need to be watered by his word. Amen? Jesus will water you with his word. He will get you all wet. (laughs) If you dive and you immerse yourself into the word of God, listen, God will reveal himself to you in such a way, you'll go, oh, wow. It'll be amazing. So as we will be looking, looking through Revelation chapter 20 today, so you might want to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. And listen, and we're going to take this at face value. In fact, it's literal. A literal interpretation is how you want to interpret the Bible. Literally. And we'll talk some more about that. There's a literal sequence to everything and leads to a, and and this all leads to a premillennial view of the study of the last things, or it's called eschatology, just a big word for the study of last things. Christ will return coming to establish his literal kingdom on planet earth. He's fixing to come. He's going to do that. That thousand-year reign. There are two other major views about this thousand-year reign. And I want to just kind of cover that. So on the back of your notes, I pretty much wrote out the, uh, uh, um, uh, the inscription of each one. Uh, all you got to do is fill in the word. Amen? I'm glad I didn't do it the other way around, right? You'd be writing for a long time. But anyway, hey, listen, the first view I want to talk about is the post, post-millennialism. That's a, that's a tongue twister. You say it three times, right? Listen, this view holds that Christ will establish his kingdom at the end of that thousand-year reign. That through Christian influence, society will continue to improve until it reaches a utopian-like state. How many of you agree with that? You all see that happening today? When is it going to happen? Like, when is it going to happen? (laughs) Right? This means that believers will bring in the millennial kingdom, that Christ will return after this general period of peace and prosperity has been established. Like Jesus needs help, right? Does he need our help? No. In fact, are we not messing it up? Look at our society. There may have been a time after the first century and Jesus ascended to heaven and the disciples are going out and they're sharing the gospel. Peter's preaching, 3,000 get saved, then 5,000 get saved, then more thousands get saved, and then God disperses them to go all over the world. And then the gospel starts spreading far and wide from, from Europe, from Rome to Europe, to the West, the United States, everywhere. There might have been a time where people had thought about that. That, hey man, it's getting the world's going to get better because Jesus the King has come, right? But we know differently from the scriptures. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. Amen? And we see that. Because if it was getting better, our church would be slam full. <laughs> right? But it's not. Most churches are not slam full. 
And it's something for us to take in and think about. Postmillennialism, right? It's not happened. The other, the other view is a millennialism. I can't even say millennialist, right? This view believes the millennial kingdom is not a future thousand-year kingdom on earth. Rather, it is a spiritual kingdom that refers to Christ, uh, to Christ's rule in the hearts of his people during this present age. In other words, some of these scholars believe that there's not going, it doesn't exist, right? Some amillennialists believe the millennial kingdom is a literal kingdom in heaven where Christ's saints rule with him. But they reject the notion of a future physical kingdom on earth. They think that in the church age, is, is, that's, we're in it right now. And we know that we're not. There's no way. But the view that we believe that premillennialism, the beginning of the thousand-year reign, is millennial kingdom refers to a future physical kingdom that Christ will establish at his return. The kingdom which will be centered in Jerusalem will last for a thousand years. That thousand years is very important for us to understand. It's a thousand literal years after which this world will be destroyed and replaced by a new earth at the end of it. It's not going to be boring, people. You hear me? When we leave here, there's nothing going to be boring about anything, right? In Christ. Or without Christ, it's not going to be boring for those who don't go to heaven. But it's going to be torment and it's going to be anguish and pain. Folks, this view is the most natural way, this last view, most natural to understand Revelation chapter 20 through chapter 22. And we're going to be talking about that a lot. In fact, I'm not, I'm not going through this very quickly. I'm going to go slow. We will get through, we'll do three verses this morning. <laughs> because there's so much information in chapter 20. I want us to understand it and get it. Amen? I think it's important. This is the chronological, literal interpretation of the scriptures we said from the very beginning of the study, way back in January 2022, when we started Revelation. I said when we go through the book of Revelation, it's a literal interpretation. And if it's figurative, the Apostle John lets us know when it's, when it's figurative in language. Right? He lets us know. Or the scripture, the rest of the scripture lets us know. Right? Remember last week in Armageddon? Right? Who defeats the armies? Who defeats the armies in Armageddon? Christ Jesus, right? And how does he do it? The word of his sword. Right, the sword. Now, it's not a literal sword coming out of his mouth. You all know that, right? All through Scripture, it teaches us that. That the word of God is sharper than a what? Two-edged sword. The word of God. So we know that may be figurative, but it is explained throughout the entirety of all the Scriptures. And so we need to understand that this morning. At the heart of this debate about the millennial views is the issue of hermeneutics, which is a big word for studying. It means how to interpret the Bible. That's a study on how to interpret the Scriptures. There are actual classes and colleges that teach you how to interpret the Bible. And so it's called hermeneutics. And so check out this. Uh, all sides of the debate, though, agree in interpreting Old Testament prophecy literally leads to the premillennialist view. In fact, the first 300 years of the church, this was the prominent view. In the first 300 years of the church was the premillennial of Jesus coming at the beginning of a thousand year reign. 
And it wasn't until later that that, that changed. I believe we forget and, and we, must, we must think about how we interpret these scriptures literally uh, leads to a natural pre-millennialism. Pre- I can't even say it. Listen, I believe, listen, we must remember something. This is something too because I was thinking about this. There's people in here, there find maybe people sitting out there that think, like when God created the earth and everything in it, how many days did he take to do it? Six. Now some people think that each day is like a thousand years. But literally, listen, our God is a big God. And when God created, he created a literal six days. In six days, he created everything that you see. But we serve a big God that can do that. And there are people out there that think that, that no, no, no. Even there are Christian people that sit in pews. Some of you might think that this morning. But then you reduce the size of your big God. God is huge. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. Bob Ferris, one of his favorite scriptures. Mine too. But I love it. But I love it. Listen, don't discount what God can do. And sometimes we think, well, you know, that's not real, Pastor. That real Pastor, I mean, come on. We're looking at stars that started billions of light years ago shining, right? Yeah, and God is an amazing God. How he could do that in six days and create it is amazing, right? I want you to think about something. Some people say that there's scripture and it says that to a day, to God is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. And some people will use that as the argument. But you've got to remember one little thing that sometimes we forget. God lives where? Outside of what? Time and space. Where he is at is not time and space. In fact, God created time and space. Now, you really think that God is going to be limited by the time and space that he created? He's much bigger than that. God can speak it, right? And when you read Genesis' account, he spoke it, and what happened? It happened instantaneously. God spoke it, it happened. It happened. It happened. It happened. But rationally, to people, human mind, it doesn't make sense. Duh. He's God. There are a lot of things that don't make sense where God's concerned. But get in your spirit. We serve a humongous, supernatural, all-sufficient, all-sovereign, all-powerful God who knows everything and creates everything out of nothing. He really does. I was thinking about this. You know, we're talking about the God who creates things out of absolute Why? Because we can't. We can't create anything out of anything. We're not God. It reminds me of the story of an atheist, right, who doesn't believe God exists. He doesn't believe God exists. So God was sitting in heaven one day when a scientist said to him, Lord, we don't need you anymore. Science has finally figured out a way to create life out of nothing. In other words, we can now do what you did in the beginning. And God says, oh, is that so? Well, tell me, replied God. Well, said the scientist, we can take dirt and form it into the likeness of you and breathe life into it, thus creating man. And God said, well, that's interesting. Show me. So the scientist bent down to the earth and he started to mold the soil. And God stopped and said, no, 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 he interrupted God. Get your own dirt. So, 
when you think about listen, God is amazing. God, God creates out of nothingness. He speaks it and it is to be. That's the God that you and I serve. I like putting my faith and trust in a God that I serve like that, don't you? Amen. Amen. Yeah, give him a hand clap. Give him a hand. Listen, God, and you know what I love is God is so relatable. Because listen, he sends his only begotten son to the earth to be like you and I, to feel pain, hurt, sorrows, happiness, laughter, all these things, right? And what does he do? He voluntarily lays his body. Oh yeah, when he was arrested, he was taken. Listen, he could have called 10,000 angels off of a, uh, off the, to get him off the cross, but he didn't do it. He went there with the sole purpose to seek and to save you and me. And to die on a cross for our sins that we've committed that we can't get rid of the stain. You can't get rid of it. When you sin, it's in you. It's upon you. None of us can get rid of the sin that we've committed. And every one of us has either lied or cheated or stolen or thought negative or did bad things, whatever the case may be. Too many sins to even number. But Jesus wiped them all away. In that one act on the cross. Because he had no sin, but he took your sin and my sin on the cross. And shed his blood for you and for me. That we would have eternal, everlasting life. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 20. And let's look at verse 1. You know, God means what he says. And God always says what he means. Always. Same in Revelation. It means literally. John always points out figurative meaning when it's figurative. But this is literal. And listen, when you do this, when you when you do when you when you do it literal, it does it. It's less confusing. When you start saying that time is all this much time or a day is a thousand years, listen, you're opening up Pandora's box. Then what can you believe it to be true? As you go through different things concerning time and days. In Revelation 20, verse 1, let's read together. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. You might want to score a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were completed, after these things, he must be released for a short time. So we see just in these first three verses, he mentions a thousand years. How many times? There's two times there. In the rest of chapter 20, there's four more times he mentions a thousand years. Pointedly, he says a thousand years. Six times in chapter 20. And he doesn't say that anywhere else in the scripture. We see it mentioned here. So it is true that the word millennium is mentioned only in one chapter in the Bible. And it's right here in chapter 20. How many times does God have to say it for it to be true? But he says it six times right here. We can take it to the bank. He means a thousand years. Listen, some people think because he mentioned things in Scripture a couple of times, it's just as important. Amen? But here six times the thousand years are mentioned. And here it is in relationship to who? To Satan. 
And why is it in relationship to Satan? Because we see Satan bound for how long? A thousand years. Satan is the God of this age. Remember in Ephesians? The prince of the power of the air. His incarceration and total absence from the earth changed conditions on the earth from dark to light. So Satan has to go in order for the light to uh, overpower everything. He's got to be removed. His influence in this world, I say the word ginormous. Because he is. His power in this world is real. We see it every day. We see it more and more every day. As time is drawing near and close for Jesus' return for his church. He keeps ramping it up. It gets worse and worse. But listen, his withdrawal makes the way for the thousand year reign of peace. The millennium is a victory. It's going to be peace like never the earth has seen before. Can you imagine that? No war, just sweet peace. Can you imagine the lion laying down with the lamb? Can you imagine little children picking up snakes and not getting bit? Can you imagine snakes not worrying about the children? <laughs> right? I always thought it was told a good snake is a dead snake, but that's not really true. God created everything for a reason. But can you imagine the tranquility and peace it's going to be in that thousand years? It's going to be incredible. See, Satan must be removed from the earth's scene before this can take place. Before the true light, the true peace can be, can be, can be uh, worldwide. You know, people talk about bringing peace on earth. You ever hear about that? People talk about bringing peace on earth. Like, you've heard peace in Jerusalem. We've heard that. Peace in the Middle East, right? How about this? How about, how about listen, how about, how, about the, uh, how about the Nobel Peace Prize? Have we seen peace? We're not going to have peace until the Prince of Peace, Jesus, comes to earth, right? No way. There's no peace. You cannot have true peace until Satan is out of the way and the true Prince of Peace, Jesus himself, shows up to reign. The scriptures say John saw an angel and it says he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old. Notice dragon. You see dragon in Revelation a lot, right? But serpent of old, where's that come from? That comes from the book of Genesis at the very beginning who deceived Adam and Eve. Serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. Satan's power is now reduced. And listen, an ordinary angel given great power becomes his jailer. Think about that. And leads him away. In fact, Jude in the New Testament says, and we think that this angel may have been Michael the archangel. And this is why. Jude 1 verse 9 says, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him in him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. In Revelation 12, 7 and 9, we read uh, as we studied that, And there was war in heaven. Look what it says, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was what? 
thrown down the serpent of old. There it is, that uh, terminology from Genesis, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And there, that's where the havoc is being wreaked globally. From not just Satan himself, but Satan sending his minions, his demons out to inflict harm globally, creating chaos and confusion and strife and all kinds of things. So this angel throws Satan in the abyss. That's what this angel does. Notice this is not the lake of fire. He's throwing Satan in the abyss. It's not the lake of fire. The key given to the angel of God signifies that he, his authority was delegated to him by God, whoever this angel is. He has power to open the abyss, and this angel has power to close it after casting Satan inside. You remember in chapter 19, the Antichrist and the false prophet, you know, they are the first to be thrown where? In the lake of fire, which is the final death. And that's where they are at this point. The fire, the lake of fire burns with fire and brimstone. The scripture goes on to say that Satan is in the abyss, chained and sealed. Why is he chained and sealed? So that he would not deceive the nations any longer. So that light could be brought in and peace could be worldwide. And, and listen, and the land could be restored and the lush green land would be restored and plenty of food and the people would just, it would be, it would be a wonderful time that we want to be on this earth. And experience what God is going to do in his restoration during that thousand year reign. But then the scripture said until a thousand years were completed. It said after these things he must be released for a short time. So after the thousand years Satan's going to be released from the abyss. Which a great question that we would all have would be what? People may say why is Satan loosed after God had him shackled in chains in the abyss with the door sealed for a thousand years? God, why are you going to let him out? God has a reason. And sometimes it's not for us to know the reason. You see, our sovereign God has worked everything out. Every detail God has worked out from beginning to end and end to beginning. God is a God of order and has worked it out in great detail, a program which to us is like a mystery. It's a mystery of God. It will be revealed to us one day, but for now God is asking all of us, that we must walk with him by what? By faith. We must walk by faith. Listen, trust is a must in God's economy for all of us as believers. We must trust him. We must trust and know that whatever he says and whatever he is doing is absolutely right in every way. We may not understand it all, but it's not for us to understand everything. Just like Jesus did with Peter. I thought about this. In the boat. Peter was like, Lord, if this is you on this storm, you see, call me to come to you and I will come. What did Jesus say? He said, come on. Well, he said, come on. He said, come. Whatever. The scriptures say, come. So here's Peter. Exercises some great faith. Amen? Amen? And the rest of the disciples are in there like, Peter, what are you doing? Are you nuts? Right? And he gets out of the boat. And he's standing on top of the water, on top of the storm. And his eyes are on Jesus. Let science explain that. 
Science can't explain that. The sovereign power of Almighty God can allow Peter to walk on top of the water, on top of the storm, as long as what? As long as his eyes are on Jesus. And see, and that's a problem in our world today. We live our lives every day, but every day is our, our, our eyes on Jesus. Are your eyes on Jesus? Are your eyes totally on Jesus? And as long as Peter walked on that water looking at Jesus, he was good. And it even said he took his eyes off of Jesus. And what happened? He began to sink. Scared him so bad, he said, help me! What did Jesus do? No, man, you didn't look at me. No, he didn't do that. He reached down and grabbed him up. Are your eyes off of Jesus this morning? Ask Jesus to help you. And he will grab you up. And no matter what storm you have in your life, he's going to walk with you. Not alone, but he's going to walk with you on top of that storm. It's so important for us to get that. We can't do anything by ourselves. Apart from him, we can't do nothing, Jesus said. Jesus said that out of his own lips. So why do we try to do things on our own power? We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes of our life on Jesus every, every, every single day. You know, there's no real answer to this question other than we must trust God. He certainly knows what he's doing. Amen? Hey. I trust him. Here's the truth. We don't know... The answer to the problem of evil, but we will get the answer someday as we walk by faith and not by sight. You can't believe what you see all the time. God had Satan bound, the door locked and sealed for a thousand years because there could not be a millennium without him being bound remaining in the world. That doesn't mean that the living people in the millennium will be capable of sinning either. There's going to be a lot of people still left on the earth even after Armageddon, globally. Amazingly, a vast part of the population born of the believers who alone entered the kingdom will in that perfect environment love their sin and reject the king. God still gives opportunity to be saved, even during this time frame. We know that. Why? Because the Bible says that they will be judged during this time, even in the millennial reign, with a rod of iron. In Revelation chapter 2, 27, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. In Revelation 12, 5, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then back in Psalms 2, 9, You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. He even says that we, as we rule and reign with Jesus, will rule with a rod of iron during this time. So that's just kind of a little interesting fact, too, about the, because you think everything is done. No, it's not done yet. Satan's going to be released after the end of that thousand years. And then, oh boy, when we get there, you're going to see what's going to happen. 
Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you walking on the storms of your life because your eyes are on Jesus? Are you trying to do it yourself? With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're not going to experience that millennial reign of Christ. And I want you to experience the millennial reign of Christ. I want you to experience everything that Jesus has for all of us that are believers. But it starts first with believing in Jesus is who he said he was. The Savior of the world. For he laid his life down on this cross that's behind me. And he shed his blood to wash away your sin. Until you recognize first that you are a sinner, you can't even be saved. If you told a lie, you're a sinner. If you've stolen something, you're a sinner. If you dishonored your mom and dad, you're a sinner. If you've hurt somebody, committed adultery, lusted after somebody, taken something, whatever, blasphemed God's name by taking his name in vain, if you've done that, you're a sinner. And you can't remove that sin. That's why Jesus came. He came to remove your sin. All you got to do is believe that he did that just for you. Confess your sin to him. And he is faithful just to forgive you of all your sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and make you brand spanking new and alive to him. Maybe somebody here today has never trusted Jesus as their Savior. I want to welcome you and invite you to ask Jesus into your life, into your heart. He's real. He came, he left. And he's coming again. And he's coming back for those that know him as Savior and Lord of their life. Are you going to go with him when he comes back? If not, ask him into your heart. Today is the day of salvation for you. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I've never heard it put that way before. But Lord, I ask you to come into my heart and to cleanse me of all my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you were buried in the tomb and that three days that you rose from the dead to show that you overcome death, hell, and the grave. And because you overcome death, hell, and the grave, Lord, I believe that I will overcome as well. Lord, I thank you for saving me this morning. Help me to turn away from my wrongdoing and help me to chase you with all of my heart. I ask you, Jesus, to save my soul right now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.